Do me a favor and track down a Bible if you can. There should be some in baskets down by your feet. And get with me to Luke chapter 5. In the, ba- in the uh, Bibles that we have in baskets here, uh, the Bibles we have, that would be page 835. 835. Um, as a church, what we're doing right now is we are thinking about how to be able to share our faith with other people and how to invite other people into the experience of Christianity. And so I hope that this has been beneficial for you guys. It has for me personally. I've, I've really enjoyed thinking about this over the past few weeks and, and uh, feel like God has given me some insights into how to do things differently. And so I'm very, very grateful for that. Well, let me read the text. Um, we'll pray and then we'll get after it. This is Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Let's pray. Lord, we we ask right now that you would speak to us through your word, and we pray, God, that you would help each of us in here to to hear your voice, that we would hear this invitation that you continue to extend to follow you, and not only to follow you and experience life together with you, but also to be a part of what you're doing in this world. And so, God, as a church, we want to embrace that high calling, and we want to challenge every member of our campus to be a part of that, to, to, to joyfully prioritize their lives to be a part of what you're doing. And so, God, we just commit this time to you, and we ask for your Spirit's work in each of our hearts and in our lives, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, Some of the best lessons in life can be learned in a boat. Um, I remember when we were little, uh, we live on a tree farm. I lived on a tree farm, and we have a creek out back. And so my grandfather would take B-Rad and I out on these canoes, and we'd paddle around, and we'd, do, we'd go fishing, and he'd tell us stories. And, and we just made some very great, great memories as we kind of cruised around on, on the water. Well, in our story this morning, Simon Peter and his colleagues, they get to have this close interaction with the Lord as they're out in the fishing boats, and he's beginning to speak to them very personally. And what he says to Simon Peter, what he invites him to participate in, is something that Jesus also is still doing today. That he has this this tendency to come near to us and to come into our lives and to, to speak to us and to invite us into this significant reality. And so what we're talking about this morning is the call that Jesus uh, issues for us to be a part of the Christian mission. He's, he invites people to be a part of this mission that he is engaged in. And the first thing I want you to see is that really, it's ultimately a call to be a Christian. 
Like, obviously, we want people to be engaged in ministry, but, but even prior to that, we want for people to have committed their lives to this Lord and Savior. And so when we, when we look at this story, we see how Simon began to orient his life to this person, Jesus Christ. And really what we see is that he is treasuring the Lord. For me, that's important language as I think about what it really looks like to be a Christian. I love the language of treasure because all of us have hearts that value certain things. We all have hearts and we have treasures and, and we have things that, that for us give, give life its definition and its purpose and its meaning. And Christians are people who have found Jesus Christ to be the ultimate treasure. And Christians are the ones who then have oriented their lives around that reality. So let's look at how it happened for, for Peter in this story in verses 10 and 11. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. What does that sound like? It sounds like they found a treasure. It sounds like Simon realized that this guy who had been in his boat, who's now inviting him into this relationship of walking beside him, goes, I would rather have that than everything that I'm accustomed to. I would rather have that than continuing in my fishing business. I'd rather have him, and I'd be willing to leave everything behind if I can spend time with him. He has found this treasure. Christians are people who interact with Christ, and they realize he is more valuable than anything else this world has to offer. Jesus himself taught this lesson. In Matthew 13, verse 44, he puts it like this, where he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And underline this, and then in his joy, he's not upset, he's not discouraged, in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. That's what it looks like to be a Christ follower. You recognize that the value of who Jesus is just eclipses everything else. This is the most significant thing in the world, and I need it. And I would be willing to joyfully part ways with everything else just to have that. And so for me, when I think about that, 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 that makes a big difference in, in how I evaluate true Christianity. There are people who can say that they're Christ followers, that they believe in Christ, that they're Christians, but they don't really share this conviction. They've never had this experience. They, there are a lot of people who like the thought of a powerful person coming into the boat of their life. Yes, Jesus, get in my boat. Here's where we're going. Here's what I've got going on. Here's what I'm up to. I would like for your power, your sovereignty. I'd like for your, your, your ability to make things happen, to show up in my life. Would you please bless my life? A lot of people consider Christianity like that, as adding Christ into what they've already got going on. But I think true Christianity looks more like this. When Jesus comes into your life, all of a sudden you realize everything changes. If, if I'm going to follow him, I'm going to surrender my life. I'm going to allow for him to determine what comes next. And I'm, I'm willing to, because I value that, because I treasure that, I'm willing to go wherever he leads me. I think that's true Christianity, and I hope and pray that people from our campus have that experience. And if you've not, if you've not had that experience of seeing Jesus as the ultimate treasure, then, then I believe that even this morning he is here, and just like he's inviting Peter, he's also inviting you. And he's calling you to surrender your life and acknowledge who he is and begin to orient your entire existence around him. 
so that you would be able to say with joy, I will give up everything to follow you. And, and if that feels like something is going off in your heart right now, if you feel like God is calling you to that kind of commitment to him to surrender your life, I would love to pray with you and talk with you today before you leave. But I think that's what God is doing. He invites us to be Christians before he ever commissions us to be a part of his mission. And a part of what that means is that we come to find Jesus as the ultimate treasure. And I hope that's true for you. Another aspect of being a Christian is that we become aware of how holy he is and how sinful we are. Um, Here's what happens in the story. So they're they're sitting there, they're just finishing up a long night of fishing, they haven't caught anything, they're washing their nets, and this rabbi, this teacher, comes along, and he begins, he's teaching this crowd, and he pushes out a little ways in Simon Peter's boat. And he's now teaching from, from the boat, this huge crowd on the shore, and then he says, let's go out into the deep water and cast the nets out. And, you know, Simon Peter's like, we did this all night, I have no idea why you think that if we go out there, anything's going to change. But sure enough, they go out, they throw the nets in, and they start to catch this huge haul of fish. And so many fish are caught that the nets are ripping, the boats begin to sink, and look at how it unfolds in verses 6 and following. They caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Here's what's happening in Peter's heart. He is in this boat with this dude, and he's all of a sudden realizing this is no ordinary rabbi. This is no ordinary teacher. This guy is different, categorically different. He's realizing the one who's in my boat right now is holy, and I'm not. That's an experience of a Christian where you come into contact with Christ and you go, I'm not just dealing with another ordinary historical figure. I am dealing with the Holy One. And I'm recognizing then, in light of His holiness, I'm not really fit to be here. I'm not holy like He's holy. I can't just come into contact with this Holy One. Isaiah, one of the, one of the prophets in the Old Testament, he had a very similar experience. It was in a year that the king, who had been king for a very long time, died, and Isaiah had this vision. And it's Isaiah chapter 6 where he talks about this, and he, he, he tells us the story, and he said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on his throne in his temple. And he describes it, he said, the train of his robe filled the temple. The, the, his garment that he was wearing was filling this entire temple. And he said, there were angels, and they were flying around. They had six different wings. So they had wings that they were covering their faces with, wings that they were covering their feet with, and wings that they were flying with. And these angels were crying out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the earth is full of his glory. These angels are, are outfitted to be in the presence of God. They're, they're shielding themselves. They're covering their feet. As R.C. Sproul says, they recognize their creatureliness. And they're in the presence of the Lord himself. And they're freaking out. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And what does Isaiah do? He goes, I'm undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And I have seen the glory of God. 
That's exactly what happens to Peter, and that's what happens to us as well. We come into, into contact with Christ, and there's a moment where we realize, I'm not really suited to be here. He's holy, and I'm sinful. And we say, out of my presence, I can't be near you because your holiness is very evident to me. That's what Christians recognize. We are people who draw near to God, but we're not really cut out to do that. If you've read The Pilgrim's Progress, it's a story about a a man named Christian, and he's on his journey, on his Christian journey to the heavenly city. And as he gets near to the city, do you know what happens to him? He gets sick. And the reason why he's getting sick is because the closer he gets to the heavenly city, the more he's beginning to feel the effects of the holiness of that city. And he's not really ready for that. Kind of like when you climb a mountain and you're, you know, we're flatlanders, so we're not used to the hills and we go up a little bit in altitude and we're like, I don't feel well. In that way, that story, Pilgrim's Progress, is showing us to come near to the holiness of God will expose you for who you are. That you're not really suited to be in the presence of God unless, unless God somehow draws near to you and makes a way for you to be with him. That's what he did for Isaiah. That's what he's doing with Simon Peter. He makes a way for us, sinful as we are, to be in a relationship with a holy God. And it's through the work that Jesus did for us that we have access to this holy God. But that's a part of what it means to be a Christian. That we don't just think Jesus is another dude that I'm trying to get into my life, get on my team, get working for my benefit. It is, it's, it's an encounter with the God who is. And it's traumatic. But God is a gracious God And he calls us to himself, and he makes a way for us to be in a relationship with a holy God. Now, another element of being a Christian is a willingness to listen to the voice of Christ and respond to it. And we see that in the story here. Simon Peter and his colleagues, they have this, they're hearing what Christ is saying, and they're not just kind of nodding their heads going, yeah, that's great, that's great. But they're actually hearing what he says, and then they, they listen. They obey with faith. And that's what it really, you know, that's what Christianity really comes down to. When you hear what Christ is offering to you, you can sit in a, in a church service and go, yeah, 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 I understand. Yeah, he's inviting me into a relationship, sure, sure, sure. But true Christianity is when you make that decision to hear his voice and respond with faith. And you hear his voice and you say, because you've said this, I will follow. Because you've said this, I will go with you. Look, look with me at verses 4 and 5. Jesus said to Simon, put out in deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. It's when you hear the voice of Christ and you say, I'll do whatever you ask me, because it's you. And in the same way, at the end of the story, what does he do? He responds with faith. He leaves everything to follow him. My question for you is, have you surrendered your life to Christ? Have you responded with faith and said, if you're inviting me, to be with you, I will, by faith, follow you. I'll trust you. I'll surrender to you. I'll give my life entirely to you. So the call to Christian mission is essentially a call to be a Christ follower. But there's also a mission at hand. You see it here in the text. You see that God is, is going to invite Simon Peter to be a part of this team that will change the world. The mission, I, I've Uh, argued this over and over again. I think it's one of the features of our campus. We believe that every Christian is invited into the mission of God, that we don't just spectate. We don't just come to church and watch other people, you know, get in on the action. If you're a Christ follower, God co-ops you into his mission. 
He invites you to be a part of it, and that's significant and exciting. But the mission is, is what Jesus is ultimately up to. He's seeking and saving that which is lost. He's reconciling the world to himself through what he's going to do in his life and ministry. And every Christian is invited into this experience. Now, here's what's interesting as you're looking at the story. The strategy is not one that I normally think about when I think about how could we change the world. The strategy that runs throughout the entire Bible is that God does this. For the sake of the many, he focuses on the few. For the sake of the nations, he chooses the people. For the sake of reaching the world, he chooses 12 people and invests in them for three years. In this story, we see that Jesus is narrowing the focus from this crowd to this individual. And so a way that we can think about being a part of this mission is recognizing if we're going to be effective, we should be investing in the lives of a few for the sake of the many. Look with me at the beginning of the story. In verses 1 to 3, it says, The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Jesus saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, and the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. But you keep moving. And here's, if you're watching a movie, you've kind of got this panoramic view. You're looking at a crowd. And you're looking at this teacher who's on a boat now and he's teaching the crowd. But then what happens next? The story zooms in. And now you can't see the faces of the people on the shore. All you can see is Peter and Jesus. And they're having this intimate conversation. And Jesus is calling this one dude to be a part of this mission. Don't be afraid, I will make you fishers of people. Here's what Jesus does. He goes from this wide-angle lens right down to this narrow focus. If we're going to reach the lost, yes, we should certainly care about doing big-scale things, but one of the best and most effective strategies is to narrow our focus and say, I will invest in a a few, and I will impart this Christ-like life with the hope that they will replicate that and reach more and more and more people. Alan Hirsch, a guy who studies missions and writes and speaks on it, he puts it like this, the key to reaching the lost is not more evangelism, it's more discipleship. And those are kind of, you know, insider language, but evangelism is sharing your faith. And he says the the key to, to reaching the lost isn't just training more people to do evangelism. He said the key to reaching the lost is to train them to live this Christ life so that they can replicate that in other people who can then replicate that in other people as well. If we want to be a part of this mission, we should narrow our focus. And as a church, I think we, we try to do that through groups and Alpha and other ways, but we're pouring into the lives of a few and trying to think through what would it look like if we actually allowed for Jesus to have rulership over our lives and we began to go and find other people and invite, that, invite them into this way of life. And so um, the mission, I think, calls for us to be strategic. And you can't do everything, so why not think about the few people that you're going to pour your life into and help them to embrace this incredible call? Now, another feature of being on mission with Christ is that we have to follow him, and sometimes it's going to be a little counterintuitive. When you're following Christ, he will do things that will surprise you. He will do things that you're, you're really not ready for. You think you're going one way, and you go another way. Um, Ash was talking to me about this. We were, we were just driving in the car and we were talking about this weekend and she had recently read this passage and she said, you know what's really interesting about this? That after so much success, 
They don't hunker down and go, we're here, God is obviously in here, we're going to stay put and do that for the glory of God. Instead, after this huge, successful fishing trip, they leave it all behind. Now, as Christians, here's what we do. This is what Ash was talking to me about, and I totally agree. As Christians, we're trying to figure out what is God doing. And we look for signposts. We look for, okay, God, you want me to go this way? And one of the things that we often do is, if God blesses something, we think, God, this is your hand at work in my life. This must be where I should, where I should spend my time. But that doesn't really work in our story. Because the blessing of God shows up, and they don't say, obviously God is here, he's called us to be fishermen, he's trained us for this moment, and finally we're successful. What do they do? They, they leave it, and they go with him. So at least hear me out on this. If you are trying to figure out what God wants you to do, it might surprise you. You might actually have the best year of your life, and you would be tempted then to justify God is doing something here, and this is what I need to be doing, and obviously his hand of favor is in it. But at least have a category that says, even if I see God's blessing, if he calls me to go a different direction, I'll go. Even if it's the best year of my life, the most lucrative year of my life, I'm making all this money, I can give money to the church and Christian organizations, God's hand is in this, so obviously I should hunker down and stay put and do this thing for God's glory. At least have a category that says, even if I'm successful, I'm holding this with an open hand. If you want to redirect me in this moment, I will go. I will leave all of this behind. I will go wherever you lead me. Because at the end of the day, being on mission with Christ is about following him. And he will surprise us. He will go in new directions and take us to new places. But we need to be the people who are willing to follow him, come what may. Another feature of being in, in, involved in this mission is that you're certainly going to feel unworthy to the task. You're going to feel unworthy for what God is calling you to do. Again, look at how Simon Peter responds in verse 8. He fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. When God is inviting you, when Christ is inviting you into his mission, recognize you're going to feel ill-equipped. You're going to feel like, I can't believe you're going to use me. I, I don't even know if that's a great idea. I can think of other people you should probably use. But you're going to use me in my place of work. That's insane. And feeling that uneasiness is actually a good thing. That, I think that's where God wants us. We shouldn't have this swagger about us that thinks, you know what, I'm going to change the world for God's glory. Every time I've ever said that, which I have, I've been like, you know what, getting involved in this youth ministry, you know, 10, 11, 12 years ago now, and I was like, I'm going to change the world. We're going to, in this, in this youth group, we're going to change the world. What does God do? Humbles me. We need to be humble people who recognize our inadequacies. And instead of seeing that as a liability, we recognize, look, if we're weak, then God's strength is going to be evident in anything that we do. Who, who am I? In fact, the Apostle Paul put it like this when he wrote, and he was an incredible minister of the gospel, but he said, who is sufficient for this stuff? There's nobody who feels well-equipped to be a part of the, the ministry God gives us. We should feel with humility that God is inviting us to be a part of something that we're going to need an awful lot of help. We're going to need him to show up, and that should be totally okay for us. But we're, I think we're going to be fearful. I think that's always going to be there, and it's never really going to go away. But in the midst of that, God will, by his spirit working through us, he'll give us the power and the confidence to trust him. And um, 
Look at how David Garland puts it. He said, Jesus overcomes Peter's deep sense of fear and unworthiness in the presence of, of the divine with a call to service. Jesus does not flee sinners, but he seeks them. He does not simply offer sinners forgiveness, but he recruits them to gain other sinners. That's what, that's what God is doing. He, he, he says, look, I know your frailty, I know your sinfulness, but I'm going to use you to reach other people. And your weakness is actually advantage, because you're going to have to depend on what God is going to do through you. But God invites us to this mission, and we, I think appropriately, can be fearful, we can be hesitant, we can think. I mean, all of us in here, the studies will, will show this, and if I ask you to raise your hand and say, how many of you are fearful of sharing your faith? Almost every hand would go up. How many of you worry about the outcome of that? Like if you were to be embarrassed or they wouldn't respond favorably or maybe it would jeopardize your, your career? A, a lot of us would be fearful. We, we would say, yeah, absolutely. I'm terrified of sharing my faith. Almost nobody that I've ever met is like, I'm very confident at sharing my faith and I'm good at it. Almost everybody is like, no, this whole thing is freaky. But that's okay. We just need to acknowledge that. That God will have to show up if we're willing to go forward He'll have to show up for this thing to work. And when we acknowledge that, we're, we're heading out in the right direction. We're saying, God, we are a hesitant people. We are a sinful people. We are unworthy for this. But you, by your spirit, would you please do something that we can't manufacture on our own? And, and God will honor that. He will honor those sorts of prayers. But we need to be careful because we can allow for our fears to paralyze us. Instead of being fearful of who God is and this awesome calling that he's giving to us, we can worry too much about other people. We can have the fear of man that prevents us from being honest, that we know a God who is glorious and awesome. We need to learn to trust that Jesus is the one to be feared, and he's the Holy One, and he's going to equip and empower us to be about this mission. Now, here's, here's the last thing that I want to do. I'll invite the the band to come up in just a moment, but I want you to think about this for a moment. What else on earth, what else in your life could be more significant than this invitation? Jesus comes to us and he invites us to follow him. He comes to us and he issues this invitation to follow me. And he says, and I will make you fishers of people. Through you, through your life, other people's eternities can be affected. Is there anything that you can think of that's more profound than that? Is there anything that you can think of that you should be spending more time and energy on than this reality? I can't. When I think about this and I think about our church, I think this is what God wants us to do. And we can come up with a thousand excuses not to do it, but this is the most important thing. God uses sinners like us to go help other sinners come to know a Savior. What an awesome privilege. I mean, your job, your relationships, your, your possessions, the stuff that you value most in life, if you realize Jesus is the ultimate treasure and we get to get other people to that treasure, let's joyfully leave everything else behind if that's what he wants us to do. Let's go after what he's calling us to do as a church family. Let's open wide our mouths and tell people there is a God and he loves people and he sent his son as a savior. Let's be on this mission. Today, Jesus is inviting us. He's saying, do not be afraid. From now on, you can fish for people. You can be an instrument of my grace, God would say, 
to reach other people with the glory of the gospel. That's a privilege. So let me pray, and the band will come, and we'll worship once more, but let's pray. God, right now, I'm sure that by your Spirit, you're doing some things in here. That maybe there are people in here who have never surrendered their life to you. They've, they've, they've thought about you as an interesting dude, but they've never said, hey, he is the Lord of glory. And whatever he wants us to do, I will follow him. God, if there's somebody who's taking that step of faith in this moment, would you give them courage to be bold and to make it known? To, to make it known that they're surrendering to you and to tell myself or a prayer team member or somebody from our church, I think, I think I'm going to follow Christ. I'm, I'm a Christian. Lord, would you do that even in this moment? There are people this morning who you are making that fresh invitation to. You're right here. You're alive. You're real. Your spirit is here. And you're inviting people to yourself. And for all of us, God, as a church, we're so excited that you continue to invite us into your mission. None of us feel worthy for the task. None of us feel well-equipped to do it, but we trust you. And we know that, God, by your spirit, you can help us to do whatever it is you call us to do. Let us be fishers of people, helping people come to know your saving grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.